0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 162 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment, we'll be digging into the work of Cafe Otto, a venue located in East London that has become an international hub for underground and experimental music activity since starting back in 2008. In addition to operating a standard cafe, Otto hosts an adventurous live music program seven nights a week and has an additional flexible project space where artists can develop new work, where they can present workshops, talks, film screenings, installation, and other work connected to Otto's core live music program. Cafe Otto also operates an in-house record shop and a couple of in-house record labels, including the recently launched Takuraku that was created with the goal of supporting artists and the venue during this period of lockdown due to the pandemic. I recently had a chance to interview the senior producer at Cafe Auto, Fielding Hope, who is also the co-curator of the Counterflows Festival in Glasgow. We discuss how he came to be involved in booking shows in this area of music, how Cafe Auto has been adapting during these uncertain times, and how the pandemic has put into focus a number of new socio-political considerations tied to this area of music, or the performing arts in general. In addition to that, you'll hear several tracks and excerpts from a bunch of the new Takuraku releases, along with a few from their Aduraku imprint as well. Before we get into the interview segments, I'm gonna play a few more selections, starting with something that came out in the first batch of Takuraku releases. This is Ashley Paul and a track called Tomorrow Again Today. So prior to starting at Cafe Auto, you headed up a booking and promotion type operation, I guess as I understand it, in Glasgow called Cry Parrot. Can you provide just a little background for our listeners about your experiences and involvement uh, in that, you know, organization, and then I guess in general how you came to be actively involved in presenting shows in this area of experimental music DIY music whatever we want to call it but interesting to get a little background on that
1: yeah sure so I mean I, I was really young when I started it and um, at, at the time I wasn't perhaps so deep into experimental music I was listening to a lot of stuff like you know Fugazi and taking a lot of those kind of DIY politics that went with that and kind of pushing them into that realm. Um so I started out as a kind of very serious DIY kind of um Ian Mackay esque operation of, you know, if you aren't playing you're paying sort of thing. Um and I just took it from there and generally kind of um, embraced certain artists that I was interested in. Um it started out Relatively local and involved artists uh, that I knew personally. And then it kind of branched out, and then I started putting on international artists in Glasgow. And uh, I kind of kept going as, a, as that as an operation for a university. And it, I didn't really think an awful lot about it. I mean, it was just one of those things that just happens. You know, like artists say, oh, I just make music just because that was just something I do. It felt very much like that. There wasn't a kind of ulterior motive or a movement towards something. Um, and I graduated at university when I was 22 and I came out and instantly right away uh, I was offered music industry jobs and music industry interviews instead of anything to do with my degree, um, which was strange. And it, it was really not the plan whatsoever. And, but it was kind of like, well, I, I love doing this. It's fun, whatever. I'll just continue doing this. And um, I think that was the kind of point that I started to think of. Um, how to sustain what I'm doing in a larger scheme of things. So I started doing festivals, I started doing kind of funded events. Uh, I did events with like uh, the Contemporary Art Centres and uh, in Glasgow and Dundee. I started doing events abroad and like uh, I did events in Sweden and Canada. And um, I did some events at the uh, Tate Britain and London and stuff. and. it was just, it was, I, I kind of like seeing Crypart as a massive kind of trial and error process for how I was kind of operating within this world, but also trying to, upon that point, um, reflect upon how to support artists and pay them properly and develop something that was out with the kind of romanticised realms of DIY culture because there is a tendency for those people to kind of uh, romanticise that, oh, you know, we can make it four pounds or five pounds a ticket and you know, everyone gets paid or whatever. And it's like, well, when you do that, unless you're Fugazi and selling, I don't know, like venues out for like 2,000 to 5,000 people, no one's really getting a wage as such. Like you're barely even covering your costs. So um, uh, I, I was kind of reflecting a lot upon um, perhaps picking bigger acts. You know, I ended up picking acts like one oh Tricks Point Never and Julia Halter. And, dare I say swans and artists like that mm-hmm. um, to try and make a bit of money to put back into smaller operations. Um, simultaneously I was uh, I was uh, getting funding from Creative Scotland and Glasgow and PRSF Foundation to kind of develop what I was doing. I never paid myself actually despite all this. Any any wages or kind of like curator fees I got I put back into it so um, which is really bad and I mean, I could talk about the politics behind that for a very long time, but lo- long story short, I continued doing that. And at the same time, I was working, booking a venue, which was how I made my living uh, in Glasgow called Nice and Sleazy. And uh, and uh, I got offered to apply for the job at Cafe Otto, and I went down there. And by which time, I guess I'd engaged with lots of different types of music. I was interested in dance music. I was interested in Uh, you know, this experimental music world that we operate in and um, all different sorts of music. I I don't really have particularly one field of interest as such, which is perhaps,
0: uh, you know, like like to my blessing and to my cost.
1: Right, right. Um,
0: Well, you know, in an article posted online at the time when you were leaving Cry Parrot, you had stated that, quote, for years, I have said only one job would take me away from Glasgow, and that is Otto. And I, I think anybody would understand why that would be the case who's interested in this area of music but what specifically did you find appealing about Cafe Auto that made you want to make that leap from Glasgow to London?
1: Um, there, there was a kind of <laughs> it's funny going into it but there was a little bit of an existential thing because I felt like I'd hit this strange glass ceiling in Glasgow with regards to what I was doing and um, I felt like I wasn't getting enough funding to really embrace the projects I really wanted to do and I felt like I was having to constantly make a lot of compromises and simultaneously throughout this throughout the whole operation of me getting funding and so on it was I was still not paying myself and I was working at the music venue of, of which were very supportive and they were lovely people but it didn't really work for me and I knew that I wanted to move on and try and focus on one thing so to speak And the only venue that can do that in the UK is Cafe Otto. And, uh, I mean, before then, I I had done some events at Cafe Otto myself, working with some Scottish artists and presenting them. But I'd also kind of developed a friendship with Hamish and John Chantler, um, John Chantler that used to work there, that uh, moved on. Um, And generally, I just really admired the kind of uh, octopus, kind of multi-directional uh, kind of focus of the space um, I appreciated that they were you know obviously presenting music that I was interested in and that's a, a key thing but they were also interested in develop, developing artistic practices um, they're interested in releasing music they're interested in trying to kind of um, break open and refresh perhaps ideas about what is and what isn't experimental music as well Um, and that's something I wanted to kind of, I think that's perhaps maybe one of the reasons I got the job in the first place is because I was always always very interested in that as well, I was very interested in moving beyond the kind of perhaps white academic kind of um, uh, kind of serious end of experimental music like KG and thought and so on Um, so that was it, Um, I mean I always admired that it it's, it's kind of a remarkable thing really when I, I reflect upon this that it, it's amazing that cafe auto has been able to survive in the UK climate full-stop um, and that is really massively inspiring and still inspiring today that it's, it's survived for I think 12 years now um, and um, at the time that was inspiring and it still is inspiring today but I think anyone listening to this, I think there's perhaps a kind of veneer that people feel that Cafe Otto is a massive kind of uh successful enterprise, but it's extremely touch and go, you know? Um right. and it always has been. And we've we, we work it out, we we figure it out, but
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And we can certainly talk a bit more about how the pandemic has had an impact, because obviously that's huge right now. But I did want to ask, I mean, in terms of just kind of stepping back and looking how it has been able to survive, is having all these sort of multi arms to it, like a sort of a a coffee shop element, uh, a shop, all these different facets, is that really what is able to keep it afloat because I'm thinking, you know, a lot of the music that you present on a, a weekly basis, things like free jazz, free improvisation. It's not like you're bringing in huge audiences all the time, night in and night out. So, what has been? You think one of the keys to, I mean, keeping this operation afloat?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's a really good question. This because it's and it's also a, there's there's not an easy answer to it. But I think the the main point is we've built over time um, something of a flexible sense of community over the space because I think this is the really good thing about spaces in general in the arts is uh, spaces are kind of points of community. It's, it's, it's good that people feel like they can be part of a space and can be involved in a community and that's enhanced I think by having a cafe and bar and a social space where people can interact. It's enhanced by we have a project space where local musicians can work on their practice and present workshops, present uh, exhibitions and so on and um, kind of just kind of develop it from there and I think it's just from the ground up. Hamish started Cafe Otto as a kind of uh, a cafe inspired by him and his partner Keiko's um, interest in, in Japanese uh, kind of tea and coffee culture. It wasn't intended as a venue originally and uh, slowly they started putting on events it started from the tennis courts and then they started doing other stuff uh, there was like folk music and all the rest of it using a tiny little pa in the corner of the room and i think the the thing that is is built organically from there um i think if people read it see the listings now or see it now it might be kind of like oh this like lots of people are kind of like oh this is like the the pages of wire magazine or whatever (laughs) Uh, you know and um but i think people have to remember that it's it's very much from the ground up and it's just so happened that we've started to we've kind of formed something of what some people seem to think of as a monopoly and i hate that word because i i love the fact that um People, people need to remember there's loads of other great spaces for experimental music practice in London, like 100 Years Galley, Eclectic Art Space, and, you know, you've got events in South London, ICA, and so on and so forth. Uh, but Cafe Otto is, is something of a hub for experimental music, and definitely in the UK as well. And we've we've formed that, I guess. It's just become that over time. And it, it feels really good that that's something that's not contrived. It's something that's quite fluid, and we've always taken it upon ourselves to say well, we, we never want to crystallize this. We never want it to be like, this is Cafe Auto and this is Cafe Auto Music. We want it to be extremely open and we always want to be open to developing what we do and making sure it's more inclusive and uh, perhaps more radical and uh, emancipatory in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that Cafe Auto has done to raise funds uh, during this time for the venue and for artists um, is that you created a new digital imprint called Takuroku, which is new works produced during this time of lockdown by uh, a whole host of artists. And you've essentially been putting out between about four to six releases each week for the past month, pretty ambitious, uh, out of the gates there. So for you, has juggling all of the communication, promotion, logistics, readying all these releases, has that occupied sort of the same amount of time that you would typically do for your workload? And I guess as a follow-up to that is, how have you been going about uh, seeking submissions? Is this kind of a crew of you working and reaching out to different artists that you have like a dream list? Or are these just people who are kind of around that Cafe Auto community or people who have performed there over the years that you're reaching out to?
1: Um, So to answer your first point, um, uh, the way that we've operated since lockdown is we have to be kind of, touch and go just like how we are as an operation and to survive as Kathy Otto we have to have normally a, a live music program that is to sustain itself seven nights a week and that's how it sustains itself um so Taki Roku was a kind of natural reaction it was it was partly inspired by what John Abbey did with the Amplified 2020 mm-hmm. series I kind of saw that and I was like you know this has kind of crossed my mind that Artists can no longer tour and operate and make money as they usually do, but they will be in their house a lot more and the likelihood of them creating music is a lot more likely as well. So the basis of Taku Rocco was kind of like, we 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 did kind of put a big list together and kind of recognized you know, what, what is, represents perhaps an international and local community at Cafe Otto and how can we represent that? Kind of like a program. I mean, you could see Takaroco kind of like a program in some ways. Um, and uh, we just, we just, uh, we we kind of reached out to people, but we we made very clear I think that we didn't want the releases to be overly formalized in the same way that a normal release would, and we we don't want it to kind of feel like um, a hugely laborious exercise. We want it to be a kind of fun exercise while artists are locked down and kind of almost like a provide a little bit of a snapshot of a moment in time um, for them but on a kind of uh, practical sense we want to kind of remunerate artist labor that's lost as well in this time and also we need to simultaneously work out ways that we can sustain ourselves in this time so it's, it's kind of mutually beneficial process that I hope we've been quite we, we keep on posting up about, you know, that it's 50% goes to artists, 50%, uh, to auto, and we want to kind of. Um, I think we want to be transparent about the operation, and I think this you, this was maybe something to talk about later. That I think the, the demystification of these processes is quite important, especially right now. Um, we don't want to feel like we're being exploitative, and we want to make sure we want to make clear to audiences more than ever that we we both both parties are in a difficult position
0: right and, right
1: you know this is a way of of dealing with this rather than it's being some sort of random exploitative marketing exercise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's the kind of dream about it i forgot your
0: second point sorry but my, my brain's kind of mushed today No, no no i think you already answered it just like how you're going about it. and you said that you put together a list of artists basically that you were going to reach out to so it's not just you uh heading this up there's kind of a crew from Cafe cafeado that are taking part in this
1: yeah 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 it's it's um yeah it's kind of all of us i i've kind of headed up the curation sort of but i mean I, everyone's got involved it's been a really nice way of kind of keeping our kind of office community together and uh ollie for example uh that works in the office ollie barrett he's been z- designing all the releases and he's been mastering some of them as well so he's a massive part of this um so, yeah, it, it has taken up pretty much most of the staff time and simultaneously at the same time I'm rescheduling and booking other shows. But it's, it's OK. It's not, you know, I'm not pulling my hair out. <laughs>
0: so. Right, right. Well, one, one of the releases that I was excited to see was uh, maybe from a week or two back, uh, Japanese artist Few. And, I, and it's, it's pronounced Few, right?
1: I think I believe
0: it is yeah. <laughs> I I always hesitate cuz I feel like I may be pronouncing it wrong, but I was really excited by that one. So why don't we play a few tracks from some of the releases that have come out and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more. So this is Few with a track called Stomping in the Dirt. Mm-hmm.
2: Ride to follow me, won't cross the stormy main. Oh, the snow it mouse the soonest when the winds begin to sing. The bee that flew when summer shined in winter cannot sting. And all the flowers and all the land so brightly there they be. Once the snow it melts the soonest when my true love is for me. And Never say farewell, me, here, no farewell I receive. For you shall set me to the stile and kiss and take a leave. But I stay here till the what cock comes and the motlet takes his wing since the snow I melts the soul to us when the winds begin to sing <laughs>
0: I recently listened to the episode of the social discipline podcast that you took part in with the hosts, Martin and Miguel Prado. And it was titled survivalist music in the age of platform despotism, not serious, not a serious title, but, <laughs> but, but, but uh, one of the points that you made, and, and I'm, I'm summarizing this very, very broadly here was, that this period of lockdown where we've become so over-reliant on these corporate-controlled social media platforms, it's it sort of highlighted a need for new, independent, and more flexible platforms that allow for people to directly support artists and, and maybe perhaps scenes. So I, I know Bandcamp was one thing that was mentioned as you know some of the things that they're doing are as a good model, but what are some features... For maybe even just websites or platforms that that you could think of that could be useful in this time you know this indefinite time that we're living through where more and more people are spending a a great deal of their time online Hmm.
1: yeah i I think this is a really interesting point i think especially right now in this current situation because i think we can i think most people that work in independent music are, are kind of involved realise that the streaming uh, streaming capital, whatever you want to call it, just doesn't work for us at all. Um, it, we know who it favours and who it's for, and that is for major labels and major artists. So I think we need to kind of think beyond streaming. I think most people have, and the, there's this conversation about Bandcamp as well, but I think we kind of need to think beyond this as well and, and try and inspire perhaps more kind of community change um, and kind of lead the way a little bit about how to um, how to have transparent and radical new ways of sharing music and remunerating artists practice while capitalism fills us I mean I, I, I'm kind of I, I see it as a, a dual conversation I, I believe we should be pressuring arts councils um, and lobbying them, I think we should be pressuring governments as well, and making sure people value what people like artists do, and remember to remind people that artists are workers as well, which is a big point that I always try and bring up that I think is forgotten sometimes a little bit in DIY culture, and romanticised upon that we're all kind of, um, or ex- even exoticized that we're all kind of hobbyists or whatever. So. I, I think there's, I mean, uh, Bandcamp's one of them. Uh, Bandcamp's a really interesting conversation, actually, uh, to talk about briefly. Is their model is perhaps probably the the best, I, I believe, so far. And what what's the amount they charge? At like ten or fifteen percent, and then you have to go through PayPal, please. And I think they've been fantastic at creating these. Um, you know, like content around a lot of the marginal releases, around scenes, for example, like there's an amazing one about the Glasgow music scene, there's, there's ones about kind of black radical culture and so on right now. And um, I think they're fostering something of a community, but I, I, it's, it's weird. I, I don't know if, if you've had this conversation, but there's almost this moment right now where people seem to think that, OK, so we've got Bandcamp and that's, that means the community's all right. You know, it's kind of like everything's okay, and this this is this is the best we've got. So, and I remember I posted up on Facebook a while ago. I was like, "Has anyone got any kind of any kind of leads to any podcasts or discussions or uh, journals or whatever that perhaps discuss about the pros and cons of Bad Cat?" Because you have this amazing platform, and they seem like they're incredibly uh, independent, um, supporting as uh, as a platform, and it seems like their heart is in a good place, but we still have this multi-million pound singular platform that people are uploading their labour to. And that needs to come with a level of criticism. It needs, and also, we need to think, what does that mean in the long term? What if Bandcamp changes its model? You know, so on and so forth. So, um, to use a really basic example that I've I've brought up already, I mean, like, that's what we're trying to do with Tacky Rocket is we're trying to create a space where people can... uh, embrace our community that we've kind of fostered, and we've got a quite a transparent system for how we work with artists and where people's money goes. And um, we don't have to go through any Bandcamp fees or whatever in that process. It's just a small credit card transaction fee. Um, I'm inspired a bit by the likes of, um, you know, like you've got Tone Glow, which is a really great little uh, blog and, uh kind of sharing artist discussion there and so on and people kind of just paying towards these subscription-based models um i think that's really interesting as well um just i, I think we just need to reevaluate that but i think people should artists should kind of invent their own ways within this as well and i think labels as well they shouldn't just see it as oh Bandcamp, that's it for life it's like I think we, we need to kind of lead the way as independence or whatever you want to call us. I mean, independence is a difficult world. As we need to think about, you know, how can we make our work inclusive? How can we share it in radical ways? But also, how do we protect ourselves and the community around us? And how do, how do we create work that is valued ultimately as well? How can we kind of surpass this kind of system where it seems like music has become something people feel entitled to for free? Mm-hmm. It's a difficult thing, you know. Um, perhaps I'm ranting away right now, but I, I, I think this point in time when perhaps people in the arts perhaps have a little bit more time for reflection is, you know, I think we should be having a lot more of these conversations. And but I, 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 I do apologize that I don't have a a specific example for it. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> like, no, no, no. I, I, actually, my follow-up question, which you essentially addressed, is it, it seems like you are trying to develop some of those things through the cafe auto website where i see there's this potential there where there's a lot of there's an archive of discussions and and live performances and there's ability like through this new Takuroku series where you can pay artists directly i think is that something that you see as continuing is to like build upon and make this more of this i guess interactive platform and as a means to pay people. And I guess you pretty much addressed that question. But I see that there's... I mean, I, I, to me, I'd like to see more people do more with websites that they can personalize and make their own. Rather than... It seems like everything is now just done through little tweets and Facebook posts. Even, you know, there there isn't even places where you can read reviews anymore (laughs) because people think it's adequate just to read someone's tweet about a record that they like. I would love to see people return to like proper websites that they build from the ground up. Hmm. Or even like you mentioned, I I like the newsletter concept too because I think you can directly send that you can customize it how you see fit. I, I guess, yeah, to frame that back as a question is, is that something that you see with what you could do for the auto website
1: yeah yeah i mean that's that's the idea and I, I don't want to overly romanticize these things either because it's it's difficult and still hierarchical in a way certain releases will do better than other releases mm-hmm. uh i mean what i what i aim for in culture as you know a cultural practitioner or wherever you want to aim is and, and I, I follow this through a lot more of the festival i do in glasgow um uh, I help co-create called kinds of I, I kind of want to get to a, a space where um, workers within this can be paid equally and there's less of a kind of um, competitive hierarchy within these spaces because everyone's competing right now, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, we're all at the bottom rung of this showbiz ladder and we're constantly fighting against one another. Um, I mean, there's ways of dealing with that. I mean, I, I think the government, should, <laughs> for a start, is something should recognize this situation and recognize there's something wrong because we're within this but in terms of temporary solutions um that could be longer term yeah i think that that is something that we're trying to do and i i, I encourage people within the arts to build their own websites if they can and build these newsletters that you can i mean um you know you've got your soundcloud podcast i mean trying to Trying to create a situation where people don't feel constantly entitled to this information, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not saying it's the fault of the audiences. I just think it's the fault of capitalism and the music industry has created this situation where we're, we're stuck in this a little bit of this inertia where there's just, like, it's in a little bit of rubble and we're all trying to pick up the pieces. Um, I don't know if I'm answering specifically about Taki roka within that. I mean, I... I hope people see like the ideal situation is I want people to listen to everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want it. I don't want it to be kind of like, you know, I, I don't want to just put out a big release by, let's say, I, I don't know, like a, a massive artist and experimental music, and everyone else to be ignored. I want, I want to encourage everyone to listen to everything. I want everyone's. Uh, I kind of want to create something of a flat platform, actually, a non-hierarchical pl- platform, hopefully. And maybe Taki Rock is doing that, maybe it isn't. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I don't think we're offering a solution. I think we're just putting out ideas and sure. we're trying out something. And yeah, yeah. It's going to work for some artists better than others, but I, I, I think it's going to be a worthwhile experiment. And I, I'm curious about how it's going to lapse over time as well, because there was a lot of attention at the start. And now we realize, you know, people are... Maybe a little bit less attention. Um, how we sustain that is going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Takuroku is not the only label that you have at Cafe Auto. There's also the Auto Roku, which uh, originally was just releasing or documenting some of the many live performances over the years. And then eventually it, it kind of morphed and you were re- reissuing some pretty essential, like titles in the area of free jazz and things like that. So, um, I guess quick question about that is, you know, how how was the choices for the titles, the live title to- titles chosen? Because I'm thinking, man, there's a lot to choose from there. Does it really have to be like an epic performance that stands out for that to come out as a Otteroku release?
1: Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a funny question. I mean, it's yeah, it's a good question as well. Um, so Hamish, Keiko and John started up the label and the label's currently run by Abby Thomas um, who works in her office as well. She works in her archive too. Um, yeah at, at the start I think this it, it was I, again something I quite like about Otto is um, I don't think we were particularly formulaic about the way we go about things. Things just happen, we see an amazing show and we built this amazing resource which is um, off the back of a really great engineering team, as a um, uh, sound engineer team, is we've created a really good uh, recording facility in the space that every show gets recorded. And we so happen to see great performances by, you know, the, there's the likes of Evan Parker, Peter Broxman. Um, and we're kind of expanding beyond that, I hope as well. We don't want it to just be a free jazz label. I think, as you'll see on it, there's, there's artists at Kamakani, um, uh, Azerbaijani folk artist, Ashik Nagila, um you've got Bill Okat and Okyong Lee. Um yeah, I mean to answer your question, yeah, it is predominantly like like we have a little bit of a discussion of like, hey, what shows have you seen? Which ones which ones do you think are worthwhile for digital or physical? And we have those discussions, and we build it from then. I mean we we if we had more staff time and more money, we'd love to put out more physical releases because uh, they're a wonderful thing. And I, I'm I'm really proud of what the labels put out, um, but yeah, that's that's generally the process. Is it's 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 a kind of little bit of a community discussion, you
0: know? Yeah, I, I brought up that label specifically so that I could play a track from this Lewis Mahalo Octet album that oh, came yeah. out last week because it's. I, I just wanted to play this track. You ain't gonna know me because you think you know me because it's such an uplifting song and it's such an incredible. Free jazz record.
1: Oh, so man, my favorite ever. I mean, like, <laughs> I I was actually I, I I I hate taking onus for things, but I I found a beat up old copy of that for like ten pounds, like a li- a while ago, and I used to DJ at loads, and I just kept on going like, we put on Mahalo. Why don't we reissue this record? And then it's like finally we were like, oh, let's do it. And abby and the team were amazing, and they went ahead, and we're working with more of the organ. That catalog as well uh, okay. i don't know if that's publicly announced you've maybe got an exclusive there <laughs> but we're, we're gonna unpick parts of that. that that album's incredible isn't it yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so let, let's play it just so listeners can check this out so again lewis mahalo octet doing you ain't gonna know me because you think you know me from the album spirits rejoice guess we'll get into this last block here talking about cafe auto and and the current situation i mean have you been able to open up even the cafe side of things you know like the daily operations or you know just to get things kind of slowly back in place i mean what are what are what's the pulse like of things in london right now
1: uh i
0: mean
1: (laughs) it's it's quite funny because i'm not in london right now but we're, we're having these conversations quite a lot um and we we actually had a conversation this week about it, that we, we are likely to try and open as the kind of cafe, bar, record store service in, in a very, very limited way with a lot of kind of health and safety precautions. Um, um, I think the, the main thing we miss with the physical space beyond, obviously, live music is we miss that sense of community from the space and we want people to re-engage with it and the record store uh is is great as well um and it's it's constantly kind of building up over time and we've got lots of new releases in and we've got books and zines as well um so yeah we, we want to re-engage with that but we want to do it slowly um i don't think we're, we we should rush into these things i the government definitely wants us to rush into these things but we're, we're going to take precautions and take it slowly and i think the likelihood is we will operate as a cafe bar um, and a record shop for probably quite a long period of time before any live music starts happening up again.
0: Right, right. Well, I know that you recently held a, a fundraising auction for the venue, and you've had other ongoing fundraising efforts that are posted on your website. Does the venue need to maintain that same level? of daily live music programming you think in order to survive I and mean, i know you want to do that from a com- community standpoint but i mean could you scale things back to doing more you know shows a few days a week versus seven days a week is that feasible um you know it's, in the space that you have
1: it's it's a really tricky one because we the shows kind of keep the space alive really uh, i mean we've got a cafe service during the day that that's That does help but um it's it's a precarious operation that requires you know an average 100 people in the room per night buying drinks as well to keep the space open so um it's it's a hard one i think we will try and open as a bar perhaps um uh for a bit like i said but i mean once live music goes back i think it will just we'll probably just try and keep it seven days a week again because that's that's the only way we, it can exist. It's, it's, it was really interesting reading and uh, listening to yourself and Lauren's talking about this thing, you know, you've got different models, you know, um, of, of how to operate as a promoter or curator or uh, community. And and we, we do need, as a kind of prerequisite to our existence, we do need that constant income. We need that constant uh, ticket un- income uh, to pay artists and pay um, a little bit towards the space and we need the bar as well. So operating as a reduced service uh, is definitely a precarious operation. Mm-hmm. Um, we might, I, I don't have any concrete kind of thoughts on it for now, but we we might have to do that. Um, we might have to do limited capacity shows, let's like say like 30 or 40 people in the room instead of 180 capacity. Right. Uh, we're just gonna take that step by step. Um, the difficulty with thirty or forty people in the room, though, is to pay artists and cover our costs. It's just unless we've got a really expensive ticket price, it's like it's just nearly impossible, you know. So it's it, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really touch and go. But we're we're trying to we're trying to remain co- positive about it, and we we are really lucky. I mean, I'm sure there's people that are maybe listening that have come to Otto or know about Otto. We appreciate the international. And local support we get from people and uh, the the amount of help we got in that auction that you mentioned was was really kind of heartening i mean it's really kept us going for a few months and we don't take that for granted um
0: so you know i'm I'm crossing my fingers here (laughs) (laughs) right right well you wrote an you wrote an article last year it was titled freedom and movement radical music versus the hostile environment and, and in it, one of the concerns that you raised was regarding, you know, the tightening of borders and these the artist visa application process and how that may, makes it difficult to get international artists to, to perform in the UK. And I suppose anywhere, for that matter, here in the U.S. as well. Um, and you went on to write that when artists are granted access to move between countries, you can use these seeds to grow a new set of roots, a new strength to hold us together. And I'm wondering, do you worry a little bit about the long-term effects of this pandemic, and how that will impact our freedom and movement in the years to come?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes. <exactly. laughs> um, my main concern when the pandemic happened um, was I was I was thinking, right? I mean, our shit governments are going to deal with this utterly diabolically, but. The likelihood of us having access to the PPE or um, or a vaccine or the resources and the hospital beds is far more likely than a lot of countries like let's say South America um let's say parts of Africa let's say parts of perhaps india as well and um, that I, I I do worry that the western world to um, speak very generally you know like Europe will mainly, um, will get back to normal before a lot of other countries that perhaps suffer a little bit more under this crisis. Um, and I think that will affect things. And yeah, I'm really worried about this. I mean, the, the whole thing with borders in the first place is I think people have to kind of see it as a systemic issue as well as there's, there's so much intolerance with borders in the first place as in the UK, that I think this pandemic will be used as a kind of catalyst towards even more division and more hatred, actually. And you're just seeing this on a daily basis with kind of racism and fascism as it is. Um, so it, I, I think it, it it will result on a cultural level. I think there'll be a more kind of, um, I, I don't want to sound perhaps too kind of opaque here, but Uh, I am worried about a bit of kind of cultural inertia and kind of activism for a while that we're just thinking about our own culture and not everyone else's. I think this is an important time that we all need to think internationally and and remember our our kind of cultural neighbors, you know. And um, I think as the article puts out is we need to remember that uh, artists from Africa and India, let's say Southern America that I mentioned briefly, they have a massive part in the the kind of uh, presentation and development of experimental music as much as our Western counterparts do. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's extremely important. We keep those dialogues going and we keep those supportive dialogues going as well. Um, yeah.
0: Well, now that you've had some time to step away from booking, you know, (laughs) and in your everyday, uh, you know, how, how much that consumed your time, um, what has this period of quarantine provided for you? Maybe on a personal level. I mean, obviously, you've had time to reflect on a lot of things that you do in the organization. But has this been like a period that's been productive for you? Kind of refreshing. What is what has been your takeaway so far? Maybe one month from now, that you could your response would be totally different. Like to <laughs> hell with you! I'm done with this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's it's an interesting period, and I I think you know I have to see my my point of privilege in this that you know I I've, I'm living up here and I've got a house and I've got a garden and I feel like I've got the kind of um, the basis in some way to kind of create grounds for reflection. You know, I can pretend to be fucking Proust for a while. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to take it as a big point for reflection upon a lot of things like we've talked in this interview a lot about what's the role of the arts, um, a lot about cultural policy and cultural democracy, perhaps. Um, and just generally kind of trying to, within my own role and beyond that, kind of reflect upon that and think about, you know, where, where are we gonna go from here? And where, like, I think, you know, the, for example, this podcast is a really good example. Is, uh, and I'm sure it's it's similar in a lot of the conversations you're having right now is everyone's reflecting on, hey, what is it? What I, what is it that I do? what is the community around me, how can we enhance this, how can we value this, how can we kind of make this flourish and so on and so forth. So that's a big part of it. I don't know, I, I, I feel like I, I don't normally get to think of these things. And, and I think most people in this world feels the same way. We're just working like maniacs like, all the time right, right. and we never get this point of reflection. Uh, I mean I've been reading a lot more I've been watching more films listening to way more podcasts and just generally having that time because there's a real danger that we're we're kind of got this tunnel vision and just thinking you know from the day to next rather than kind of taking a more kind of uh, refreshing objective view on things so that, that's been the big thing for me really um, is, is just trying to I don't know like Yes, try and slow down. Not that I have slowed down completely, but, you know, trying to kind
0: of think a little bit more. (laughs) Exactly. 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 Well, I'm going to head into probably the last block of music here with some more stuff from the Takuroku series. I'm going to start off with something I probably hear from uh, Tashimaru uh nakamura here from this release called limb number 62 but fielding wanted to thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure talking with you
1: yeah no this is great no thanks so much uh yeah it's really and thanks for all the podcasts over over the years as well it's really good yeah. you've done a lot right. of weird music <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thank <laughs>
0: And that is going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I want to thank Fielding once again for taking the time to speak with me this week. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for the show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase a copy if you'd like, and I'd strongly encourage you to do so. You can also get more information about Cafe Auto by visiting their website at cafeauto.co.uk If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'm going to try to get back another couple of weeks with a new show for you. Until then, thanks so much for listening.